Come on, come on. <laughs> oh, full mag. Sweet. Jay. Huh? Jay. Get down! Hey, good shot. Miss one though. And you look with that PC. Yeah, I think it needs a password. All, all the thing is telling me is what time it is. So, the amulet? Yeah, about that. I said don't touch. Don't touch! That's a glass case. Why? Just why? 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 I mean, it said don't touch. So naturally, you grabbed it. Don't matter now, anyway. What on earth possessed you to bring me to a haunted... What is this place? Oh, you're going to love it. Absolutely, right? You're going to love it. It's a haunted university laboratory. How cool is that? It's pretty cool, right? You say so. Uh, one question, though. Why, why did a university lab need such a dangerous amulet anyway? Secret research, perhaps? Uh, I guess they've got to get their fun somewhere, right? Secret being the word, we shouldn't be here. Dude, just, just think of it like an escape room kind of thing, right? Except it has zombies and, and, and guns. I mean, why the hell would a university lab have guns? And secondly, more importantly, why are you so good with them? You think we don't have zombies in Cakeland? Come on, the Technodrome's surrounded by them constantly. Well, you know, most of the time, you got to learn fast. True, true, that is true. And you're bloody lethal with them anyway. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's her again. There'd be a boss right about her. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, it's it, didn't you? Can you stop that door from opening? It's too damaged, I think. Whatever it is that's on the other side, it's coming through. <sighs> yeah? Hmm? Run! Run now. What, what, what is it? Run! But why? Welcome to another episode of the Waffling Tailors. Woo! Whoop. This uh, indeed, indeed, whoop, indeed. Maximum whoopage. I would say maximum whoopage uh, all the time because how else are you going to whoop? True, very true. Exactly right. Very, okay. very true. <laughs> so, for folks who are jumping into this podcast who don't know who we are and what this is all about, this is uh, Squidge. That's the other guy. Say hello, Squidgey. Hello, Squidgey. So that's Squidge and myself, uh, Jay. Uh, we talk about video games and stuff. Uh, usually we have friends on and guests and stuff, but um, this episode it's just us two because we're talking about something that we're very quite passionate about mm. and we want to get our opinions out there first before we ask all of our guests and friends and stuff. So today's topic is one of survival horror. Mm. and um, Let's hope we can get through it. Yeah, that's true. You got to watch out for those weird camera angles and things hiding around the corner to jump at you. Yeah, and an audio podcast. That's it. That's exactly it, right? <laughs> so one thing to note is we're probably not going to splice in any audio of the games. So don't worry about any sort of sudden 
plosives or sudden loud noises? I'm very sensitive to sound and I'm not going to put any loud noises in because I listen to these. So no worries. <laughs> yeah, no so worries. you're not going to suddenly jump out with, here's a sound of someone being munched or a zombie or something. So you don't have to worry about that. So obviously, because we are going to be talking about survival horror games, which is a subgenre of horror games, you know, some of the things that we're going to talk about are potentially upsetting or potentially uh, spoilerific as well. So listener discretion is advised. Yeah. So, you know, if it gets too much, just skip the episode. Check the show notes before you start listening. So as this is downloaded into your pod chaser, pod chaser, pod catcher, take a moment to click through to the full show notes first, because one of the first things that gets listed is um, content warnings. So if we think that something is particularly upsetting we'll mark it out there so it's the first thing you see yeah so then you'll know whether it's a good idea to listen to the episode or not with that said let's move straight on to talking about some of survival horror games that we really enjoy so what i did was i tasked squidge with looking into all of the survival horror games he's ever played and picking out his top three But before we do all of that, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about what is survival horror and what is not survival horror. For instance, you know, whilst Resident Evil 6 and Resident Evil 5 and the Occupation Raccoon City games are based in the Resident Evil universe, you could argue that they were more action horror rather than survival horror, because although you are trying to survive till the next stage or whatever, the traditional things that you find in survival horror games aren't really there. And so to do this, I'm going to rely on Wikipedia. Now, Wikipedia isn't the greatest source of information in the world. It's a really good source. The reason it's not a great, the greatest source is because it's easily editable. And, you know, anyone who's ever had to do any kind of essays or dissertation have probably been told you can't really rely on Wikipedia itself, but you can follow the references that it makes. Mm. So with that said, here is the definition of survival horror as lifted from Wikipedia. Okay. So survival horror refers to a subgenre of action-adventure video games. The player character is vulnerable and underarmed, which puts emphasis on puzzle-solving and evasion rather than the player taking an offensive strategy. Games commonly challenge the player to manage their inventory and ration scarce resources such as ammunition. Another major theme throughout the genre is that of isolation. Typically, these games contain relatively few non-playable characters, and as a result, frequently tell much of their story secondhand through the usage of journals, texts, or audio logs. Whilst many action games feature lone protagonists against swarms of enemies in a suspenseful environment, survival horror games are distinct from otherwise horror-themed action games. They tend to de-emphasize combat in favor of challenges such as hiding or running from enemies and solving puzzles. Still, it is not unusual for survival horror games to draw upon elements from first-person shooters, action-adventure games, or role-playing games. Technically, what we're saying is if it's too action-y, then that's a really sort of catch-all term, but if it's too action-y, we're not going to count it. Like I said, Operation Raccoon City is more like a Call of Duty clone than it is a Resident Evil game. Yeah. So we're probably not going to rely on that. So because of that, we're going to go through some of our top three. So mm. I don't know whether you want to go first, Squidge, or you want me to go first, Squidge. What do you fancy? Uh, You go first. Okay. I'll read one and then you can read one out of your top three, if you like. Mm-hmm. So first item on my top three, and again, no particular order, 
Although I have realized that I've written them down in youngest to oldest game. Yeah. So top one, Resident Evil 2, the remake from 2019. Okay. So originally I had the uh, original Resident Evil 2 written down. And that was primarily because uh, when I was first sort of drafting the idea of this uh, episode a while back, I hadn't played Resident Evil 2, the remake. Mm. But since the remake has come out and I've tried it out, you know, it's really shocked me how more of a survival horror it is than, uh, say, 4 or 5 or 6. Mm. Now, that being said, I've only played a little bit of 6. I do remember I finished 4 and 5. Yeah. And, yeah, they seemed... Four was still survival horror-y in my understanding of it, but five became very much a case of, quick, here's loads of ammo, just gun down all of these enemies. And it wasn't really <laughs> survival-y, it was more just a case of hold down the fire button and wait till they stop twitching. Yeah, feels a little bit like that sometimes. Yeah, right, whereas like, if you look at the remake of Resident Evil, right, that was originally on GameCube and then was upscaled slightly to make it a HD remaster on ps4 and xbox one that is very much a case of a horror survival game you know you've got the camera angles you've got scarcity of ammo you've got enemies that come back from the dead after you've disposed of them you know you've got that constant where am i going what am i doing is it's slightly unsettling with the score underneath it and the lighting and things like that and yeah, there are a few jump scares, but not many. It's more of a sort of psychological trying to put you in the position of that character horror. And that's how I felt about Resident Evil 2's remake. You know, it's very, I've said it before on the podcast, and I know I'm talking about a game where people come back from the dead and there are genetic experiments and stuff, but it looks lifelike. That to me is what kind of makes it a little bit more scary in that because it looks so real, it feels almost like it is real. I know it's not. Absolutely. I, I absolutely have that suspension of disbelief, but disconnect. But because what I'm looking at looks like it's real, like when I'm playing uh, Resident Evil 2, the remake, and I'm running around as Claire and she's being munched, the look of pain on her face and the look of horror on her face looks real, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, to me, for a slightly more realistic reason, Resident Evil 2's remake is one of those top games just because it's, I mean, I, I know that you've gotten to the point now, Squidge, where you can just sort of run through it really quickly. <laughs> but, you know, do you remember telling us the story and I think it was Grenade to the Face? Oh. Where you told us about when it first came out? First encounter was um, Mr. X mm. and I had a hour-long panic attack. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, right. Well, I felt uneasy for an hour after a panic attack. That wouldn't have happened had the game not been as lifelike and good at that sort of survival horror slow burn, I guess. If it had just gone, boo, it wouldn't have been as scary. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's mine. Any thoughts on that, Scritch? What do you reckon? Um, I wasn't going to put it on my list because it's, it's sort of, it's fresher than the ones that really made a massive impact on me. I mean, apart from the first Mr. X encounter, it was... Second day I went on it, I turned it down from nightmare mode, and I basically took it as the game was insulting me by not letting me get any further. <laughs> so I was, I was more determined to complete it because I was insulted. Hmm. But 
Yeah, I wasn't going to put it on my list because it seems a bit too easy for me anyway to actually mention Resi 2. It just seemed a bit too easy because it's the latest one out. I'd rather go back to not when it was introduced, but the ones that are most memorable to me. Sure. Than the, the latest iteration of a remake, you know. Not saying that remakes are on my list because there might be, you never know. But I'd rather stick with the original ones that really had an impact on me than a remake of a game. So, but yeah, it is a, it is a good game. It's very suspenseful. You haven't got too far in it. So you've got lots of fun heading your way, especially when you play game B. Um, cause I know you saw me complete it, but it's different watching it to actually playing it. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a hell of an experience and anyone who hasn't experienced it, I would highly recommend it. Although go easy on yourself. Don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah. Start with like the easier difficulties and work up sort of thing. Standard. At the very least. Hmm. I mean, go on assisted if you're really not too sure about it. But standard. Start on standard. At the very least. Yeah, don't jump straight into uh, nightmare mode like I did. <laughs> or hardcore mode, sorry. It's not a good idea. It's it's really good for um, like a survival horror. You're really pitted against stuff. But it's kind of aimed at players who've already played it know like the puzzles and stuff and really want to struggle to get through the game and be challenged. Yeah, they want that enemy-based challenge rather than... Yeah, un- un- unless you're Chief, of course, because he's a nutbag. That's <laughs> what he does most of the time, puts on hardcore. He so. does, doesn't he? He tends to jump into the hardest possible difficulty setting and see what he can do. Because th- didn't he say it was like it's not a challenge or something like that? It's it's not a true challenge unless you stick on the hardest difficulty. Well, you know what? I'd love to see him play Alien Isolation on the hardest difficulty with the the mic mode turned on. So if he makes any sound, the alien knows where you are. Because I played it like that, and never again, simply. Yeah. Just never again. But yeah, so Resi 2 Remake, I can completely get that. It's a it's a hell of a survival game. Mm-hmm. I'll get that. And, you know, this this will kind of date when we recorded this, but because of how good see this is the thing right i've said it before resident evil 2's remake uses the same engine from resident evil 7 mm. and resident evil 3's remake which is coming out soon which is why i prepended this with it'll date the recording but resident evil 3's remake uses the same engine again and some of the footage from that game just looks i mean obviously nemesis doesn't look realistic because he's not supposed to because you know it's a created creature, but hmm. it looks like the setup and the, the, the backdrops and, you know, all the footage that they've chosen, which has very clearly been very well handpicked. Hmm. Looks like this is going to be yet another example of incredibly well crafted graphical quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I kind of can't wait. I'll be interested to find out whether the, the creature that attacks you in the park is still in it. Oh, the frog. Yeah. Do you mean the um, the giant slugworm thing? That's the one, yeah. The earthworm. Yeah, the earthworm. Whether the earthworm still attacks you or whether they drop that. All I've got to say to that is Capcom, you know it works. Bring down a crisis back, please. Well. That'll be scary if you do. Come on. Well, what's really interesting about that is that not too long ago, just before Christmas 2019, um, Capcom did actually file for um, a renewal of their Dino Crisis copyright. So it could be on the cards. I don't know. Hmm. So that's Resi 2. What's your first pick, Squidge, and why, obviously? This one might surprise you a little bit. It's the mercenaries mode on Resident Evil 3.
Okay. So not Resident Evil 3 itself? No. Okay. The Mercenaries mode on Resident Evil 3, because it, it nicely encapsulates, you've got a finite amount of items, and it's very hard to pick up any other items. Okay? So you've got your survival. It's in a horror setting. You've got to save as many civilians as possible whilst getting to a specific area of the town within a set time limit because you've got explosives implanted in your chest. Mm. I mean, in my opinion, it might differ for other people, but in my opinion, the mercenaries mode is more survival horror than the main story. And I'll tell you precisely why. When you play mercenaries mode, there are set areas where Nemesis shows up. Okay. In the story mode, he shows up intermittently, but it's always, it depends which path you take, what you do first, and he'll show up. And if you try and run from him and follow you, to me, that's not survival horror, that's building tension. So it's a tense, like, survival game. There's no horror in it, because once you see him once, you, your basic reaction is either fight it or go, oh, shit, I'm running the other way. Mm. A survival horror needs to have that sort of slow burn and sort of especially when enemies in here an inevitability where if you don't shoot them or get out the way they will bite you and all the survival horrors i've played where they've got that inevitability when the enemy grabs you it's always it always seems very slow when they've grabbed you and they're going to bite you or going to slash you or going to do whatever mm-hmm. so you kind of it's sort of like you recoil because you're getting hit or bit or whatever the resident evil 3 game to me, it seems like it's very tense because intermittently you've got Nemesis chasing after you. And because of that, you see the main game as a race against time. Mm-hmm. I've never played a survival horror game where the whole game is basically get out as quick as possible. Not really. Because it's always been like, it's more bordering on action games. Like, for example... I don't know, Resident Evil 5, when you're in a, when you're on a boss level and there's a timer, mm-hmm. or when you've got to get to a certain point within a certain time, or, I don't know, like in that game, you, your boat's going to leave, you've got to get on that quickly, or what have you. To me, when, when there's a, a time limit, or you feel like you have to run through as quick as possible, mm-hmm. the horror's taken out, and sort of a arcade action style is sort of planted in there instead. Mm-hmm. So the you've got the survival, so you've got to survive. But horror's taken out because everything's attacking you from every diff- different direction. A survival horror builds it up very well slowly through exploration and finding stuff. Like even even the original Resident Evil Two, there was no arbitrary time limit on it. Even though you were going towards the police station, once you got into the police station, it was about exploration. Mm-hmm. And you took your time and you could see things coming towards you and one of you. Nemesis, in my opinion, if he didn't run at you, if he always walked, that would make it more sort of horror because you knew there was never ability of he's going to reach you at some point. Yeah, definitely. In the same way that uh, Mr. X does the same thing. So the kind of way I see it is think of, oh, this is a good way to explain it. Think of any Giorgio Romero of the dead film. Mm-hmm. Right, and compare that to the remake of Day of the Dead, where all the zombies run at you. That's not horror, not really. The only way they inc- include horror into the remake of of the Dead films is they increase the zombie population by about seventeen fold. So the horror comes from the amount of them. Yeah, I think the horror in those movies comes from the situation rather than 
the uh, sort of enemies that they're facing. Yeah. But the problem is that the the, the remakes aren't that well written. <laughs> no. And and I prefer the the mercenary mode to the main game of Resident Evil Three. I've got a feeling I'm going to get a backlash about this, <laughs> but the thing is, you know for a fact that there's going to be hordes of enemies until you get into that room. You know, you know for a fact you're against it. Okay, and it's survival. But there's only, I think, four, three or four areas where there's Nemesis. Mm. The rest of the area, you might be trying to dodge dogs, dodging zombies. There might be those chimera things. You might have the hunters after you. But you don't know what area, what's going to be in what area. And I think that's where the horror comes from. Sure. So you've played the main game, but the area you're going into, you're trying to expect the unexpected. And that puts you on edge more than running away from a um, nemesis coming towards you. You can have the action-y elements as long as there's enough suspense and enough um, build-up towards some kind of horror-like reaction. So, like, a lot of people think of horror as, like, well, it's got to be big monsters and it's got to be scary creatures, it's got to be things falling off of them. But, you know, there are a number of very, very well-made horror films that are not about big scary monsters and bits falling off of them and zombies and all that kind of stuff, Mm. you know, where it's just about what is the horror that is like one of the reasons why the resident evil series is called biohazard outside of Japan is because someone else already had the copyright on biohazard. Right. And the English name for resident evil has a double meaning Mm. in the very first game. It's the evil, which is resident inside of the house, because if you live somewhere, you are a resident, right? Mm. But it's also about the evil, which is resident within all of us. That whole idea that should you be given these, um, you know, let me try that again. Should you be given these godlike powers via science? Would you allow that evil to come out? And I remember the print ads for Code Veronica when it first came out. It was a picture of a little baby and it said, you know, if you knew this little baby was going going to grow up to become a really horrible person, what would you do about it? Yeah. And it's it's that double play. I don't think it was meant to it's an edgy advert, certainly, because it's like it's implying would you destroy this child? if you knew that they were going to grow up to be someone who's horrible and destroy the world. Yeah. But then it also plays on the evil that must be resident within you to do the good thing Mm. and good being in quotes there. I don't think they, they were smart enough to want that, but I think it accidentally came out. Mm. But yeah, totally. I agree that Resident Evil three mercenaries mode, you know, is definitely a prime example of survival horror. Well, it it could definitely be um, said it is survival horror even though you, you kind of know the route you've got to take because you've already completed it. And I think a lot of that horror comes from the anticipation of what's in each area, mm-hmm. what you're going to go up against. And there's three characters to choose from. So you've got someone who's heavily armed, mm-hmm. someone who's kind of armed, and someone who's got a knife. And it's up to you what level of horror you want, really, because mm-hmm. you know that survivability is going to go down if you choose the guy with a knife. So it's going to be harder. It's going to be more tense you're going to be more on edge about it other than the guy who's got a rocket launcher. Yeah. I know it's kind of stretching the definition a bit, but that would be my first pick. Okay. One mode of a game. Sure. Fair enough. So we've had my first pick, which was Resident Evil 2 Remake. Your first pick, which was the Mercenaries version, uh, the Mercenaries part of Resident Evil 3. Mm-hmm. So my second pick, if you're ready for it, mm-hmm. is um, Alien Isolation.
Shocker. <laughs> I think outside of the Resident Evil series, this is a perfect example of what survival horror actually is. You mentioned earlier on, you know, if you put the microphone mode on and you have a microphone, any noise that happens in your sort of vicinity whilst you're playing actually affects the game. Hmm. If you make a loud noise or someone bangs on the door or someone starts chatting to you, there's a chance that it could ruin your game because that way the xenomorph knows where you are and comes after you. Hmm. But um, that whole, the whole thing, like there are no weapons and you have to just, you are investigating. You've got to figure out what's happening in the ship. You've got to figure out where the xenomorph is without munching you. And then before you even know it, it's gotten you. It's 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 the cleverest version of Pac-Man I've ever played. <laughs> yeah. That's essentially what it is. It is just Pac-Man, but in a different setting. And I have to say, it is amazing. The atmosphere, there are a few jump scares. Yeah, they can get a bit samey. And if you know they're going to happen, you just kind of don't pay attention or something. But mm. The atmosphere, the play style, the, the pacing, everything about it is this perfect example of a survival horror game as I understand, you know, as I would describe them, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, all hype was well deserved for that game. It's very, it gets you to think in certain ways different from the norm. I mean, you have got no weaponry. You can use a, a tool as a weapon if you need to. There is a complete way to, sneak through that game, not get hurt, not get detected. Mm-hmm. You can do all the story bits as long as you just take your time and think about things and really listen in. What I refer to is it's a game that when you play it, you edge closer to the TV. It's literally you're on the edge of your seat and you're leaning forward to try and hear more. Yeah. So you're leaning forward trying to hear something that you know you can't hear, but your brain can't help it. Oh, of course, yeah. Is he there? And, and you're looking at the screen, but you're turning your head trying to listen with your good ear, you know, that kind of thing. It's uh, it's a really good example of survival horror. It is. So then what's your uh, second pick, Squidge? It is, not to be confused with the release that w- that came so many years later on, but it's Alone in the Dark, the new nightmare for PS1. The game where you've got two main protagonists. You've got, I can't remember the names, I'm sorry. You've got the guy called Edward and the woman called... And um, <laughs> if you play as Edward, you start off in what looks to be a graveyard and you've got a gun, right? So you're armed. And you've got to make your way from a graveyard to a pseudo-sewer to get to the main mansion where you're supposed to go because you're playing crashes at the beginning. You both jump out. And then you pick your character you want to play as. If you play as Edward, I think his name is, you start off in a graveyard. If you pick the woman, you start off on the roof of a house. And the first thing you've got to do is get in. And all you've got is a flashlight. Right, I see. So you've got to get in. The flashlight will ward off like the smaller enemies, the smaller enemies that are in there in the shadows, which you see a lot of. Mm-hmm. And then if you're near the room where you can, where you're able to get a weapon, they start showing up and attacking you. So it's up to you to try and find the right room as quickly as possible with the weapon to defend yourself. Sure. And go from there. And both characters' paths cross every so often, but they've got different objectives, so you're not playing the same game as both characters. Right, I see. You're not playing the same route. You've got to sort stuff out. There's some quite tough puzzles in it as well, and just the reason why there is a bit strange. 
But yeah, it's definitely a good one. It is very Resident Evil-like, because when, when you say survival horror, people think, oh, it's Resident Evil. It's got similar ways of doing stuff, but it does a lot of things differently. So it's not like a, a virus that takes over a mansion or a city or what have you. It's you're investigating a residence, and there are rumours around this residence of semi-occult things going on. Sure. And you've got one person who wants to go in to make sure, I think it's to investigate the occult stuff, and she hires, I'm going to say Edward, I probably got it wrong, she hires him to go with him as a bit of protection and backup, and they get separated straight away. So you're either the muscle trying to get to where the woman is, where there's there's a, a fair few more encounters with whatever the hell it is, and then you've got the woman who's never done survival stuff in her life, who has to pick stuff up as quickly as possible and learn as she goes along. And that one's the harder one. It's a really good survival horror game, and um, it's a good alternative to any Resident Evil or Silent Hill. I didn't include Silent Hill because it's not really survival horror, it's atmospheric horror. Okay. That's why I see it as. It's it's, it's very good at sorting out an atmosphere and you're, you're a normal guy, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's quite easy to dodge stuff in that, and you pick up enough stuff, weapons and ammunition, to actually kill most things in your way. Sure. So there's no sort of... if Again, if, if you look around and you know where stuff is, there's no sort of lack of immune... There's, there's no lack of supplies, really. Um, and you can dodge stuff easily. In Alone in the Dark, there is a lack of supplies. And often in times, there are more enemies than you have bullets to kill them. Okay. And it took me a, a fairly long time when I got it on the PS1 back in the day to actually complete it with either of the characters because they both got strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So it took a long time with both characters to, to complete it. Say, so I'm not all about just Resident Evil. No, no, of course. Yeah, um, I have to admit, I've never played any of the Alone in the Dark games. I know that there was one just before Resident Evil came out that was um, used almost like pastel colors rather than texture maps and stuff. And I don't think that was the one you were talking about. No, it's the the more that was the original on PC mm-hmm. ages ago. It, it was like um, a camera um, tank controls game, and it was very sort of bright colours, and there was things trying to get you and what have you. Mm-hmm. But that was the original. This is the PS One iteration. So that's a question that I think we should come back to in a moment once we've gone through these top three. Is that do you have to have fixed camera angles and tank controls to make a console based survival horror? I think we'll have to come back to that in a moment. Speaking of, mm-hmm. my third entry into top three survival horror games, in my opinion, of all time. Is Dino Crisis. Is it now? We talked about it earlier on when we talked about perhaps Capcom are going to release a new version of it. Hopefully. Yeah, based on their um, refiling for copyright and stuff and all that kind of stuff. But you can't go into Dino Crisis not knowing that it's about dinosaurs, (laughs) which I think it's difficult to get to that point of view because it's sort of a a surprise to the characters, but not a surprise to you. Hmm. But, you know, that's fair enough. So Dino Crisis, it's this team of... Um, you know, special ops. Oh, it's a bit Resident Evil, isn't it? Team of special ops need to go to this island where something is happening and you're not really told what. Um, and then before you know it, 
people are being munched by dinosaurs that are jumping out in front of you. Mm. Now, like in Resident Evil, you know, you've got this Mr. X who's following you everywhere. Resident Evil 2, sorry. You've got Mr. X who can just sort of show up if you're not careful or whatever. And you have these sort of the zombies who are chasing you. And then on top of that, in Dino Crisis, you've got, yes, the dinosaurs are there, but they're always tracking you. Yeah. They're tracking you via the sound you make and the blood droplets, because when you get attacked, you start bleeding. And unless you deal with that, then you're going to keep bleeding and they're going to track you down because they're wild animals. They can smell the blood, right? Mm. And it's just you against them. There are other people in your team for a section of the game, but that's it, you know, and it's completely different from Dino Crisis 2, which was just literally a run and gun, shooty, shooty, bang, bang game, you know? Mm. So yeah, that would be my third entry into my top three survival horror games, because it is just such a atmospheric and almost like a psychologically disabling game. You also got to remember about Dino Crisis is at certain points you get choices you can make. Mm-hmm. So you can take puzzle-heavy sections or enemy-heavy sections. And depending on what choices you make um, differs on how you play the game, what sort of resources you have access to, and what your ending's going to be as well. So there's on, on top of it being a really good survival horror game, you've got that level of replayability as well to go through and experience it all. Plus that and some of the puzzles in that, that game are actually demonic. I'm pretty sure the bloody demonic. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So then... What's your third of the top three then, Squidge? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna use this game and it answers two questions. Mm-hmm. Can jump scares be effective in a game? And can you have a survival horror game that isn't fixed camera angles? Okay. Dead space. Now then, yes. No matter how many times you go through that game where you, you've you got a rough idea where you know jump scares are going to be, it still makes you pause for thought and move backwards. Yes. Um, the less said about, was it Dead Space 3 where you fight the moon or something? <laughs> uh, microtransaction heavy two-player game. Yeah. yeah, I don't think so. The less said about that one, the better. But yeah, I think you're right. I think um, Dead Space, yeah, it is a very atmospheric title. Tell me more. Tell me more about your decision. Um, I chose Dead Space because I'm pretty sure people would expect me to choose a Resident Evil game, and I changed it from my original pick of uh, Resident Evil Two original, mm-hmm. mainly because I've played it to death. <laughs> Not saying it's a bad game; it's an awesome game. That's why I played it to death. But Dead Space has got that extra something to it. It makes you listen in. Mm-hmm. It makes you think. You have to make split-second decisions on, do you try and dodge this thing? Do you What weapon do you attack it with? Where do you go to next? Do you try and get this? Do you try and get that? Where am I going to get my supplies from? You've got a very limited amount of your uh, kinetic force that you can free stuff with. Sure. But a lot of the puzzles use that. So you've got to save it for the puzzles, but you can also use it on the enemies. So it's um you've got to be really careful what you do and how you manage stuff. It's very resource heavy because enemies can pop up from literally anywhere on the Ishimura, anywhere. And you've got to be completely engaged, unless you've played it God knows how many times. If it's your first time playing it, you've got to be completely engaged. You've got to be wary of everything around you because it's not just the enemies. There are things that can kill you. So things that can crush you, things you can fall into, things you can fall prey to. Mm-hmm. 
it's not just the necromorphs on the Ishimura, it's the Ishimura itself that poses a real danger to you as well. On top of you trying to find out what's going on, I mean, I'm, I can tell you one of the more cooler aspects of the game, but I'd need to put in a spoiler alert. Do it, dude. I don't mind. Okay, so spoiler alert. So there's 10 chapters, right? And they're all named different things. Now, the whole point of Isaac Clark going onto that space station is that that's where his girlfriend is, right? He's an engineer. It's not supposed to be in the atmosphere. It's not supposed to be mining there. So it's it's one of those off the records, we're going to go in, we're going to fix it, and that's going to continue going, and we're going to leave. And it never happened, right? So no records can be made of this. You go in, there's 10 chapters in the game. In the last chapter, you find out that the woman you keep getting messages from, or one message that keeps playing more and more each time you, you see it, the message you, that you get at the end explains that Nicole decided to take her own life before the, the necromorph thing happened to her because of the icon that they've got there, the twisted icon thing that the whole thing comes from. That If you really pay attention, I didn't do this. I had to go back and look at this one by one. The, the chapters start, and it's one of those where the first letter of each chapter spells something out. Okay. And all ten chapters spell out, Nicole is dead. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, wow. If you're really attentive, you can pick that up. I never did. But she keeps giving you hints on how to do stuff and how to get through the game and what you need to do. What you don't realise is until the very end, that's where you see sort of... I mean, again, another spoiler, but when you get to the end and you're out and you're on a ship getting out of there, Isaac takes his helmet off, he looks to his right, and Nicole jumps at you as a final jump scare. And you're not expecting it whatsoever. You think, everything's fine. Everything's cool. I've already been through the worst of it. I'm cool. And it just jumps at you, and that's when the credits go. But it's really well done. It's not... The game uses jump scares to its advantage because most of the time you know what's coming, and you know it's there, and you're really on edge about it, and then it jumps out. And then you've got to try and survive the encounter. So it's it's really cool. If you haven't played it, I suggest you do, because it is absolutely fantastic if you get a chance to play it. It uses jump scares to good effect, not overly using them, not using them so they're not jump scares anymore. And it's a survival horror game where it's behind Isaac's shoulder. And he is not a military guy, he's an engineer. So his first weapon is just a normal self-defense weapon, but then you get other bits and bobs that you find off other people, and yeah, you can reload them and shoot them. But his character isn't, he's the specialist going in, and he's well-versed in it. No, he's, most of the time, it's, you know, he don't want to be there. He doesn't talk much, but you get the sense that I shouldn't be here. You know, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I have no clue how half of these things work. One of the other people that you go with, they say, if you turn this on, it'll start doing this, but you need to turn it on because I'm not an engineer. So you've got to go into the darker parts of the ship to turn everything on where most of the necromorphs are bound to be, you know, and you've got to survive that while solving puzzles to turn stuff on. And the whole ship's, like, powered down to it. You've got to end up powering up the whole ship, finding out what happened, and then eventually getting out of there. There's a lot going on, but it's spaced out enough where it's this whole really suspenseful, tense experience. And by the time you get to the end of it, you think, I could do that again, and it's still going to make me jump. It's a really good game. I, I rate it as my top one because I can still go back to it now and even though I've played it God knows how many times, it still makes me feel that little knot of dread that you say, I know what's coming up and it's going to be bad, but I've got to get through it. I've got to, you know, to that knot of dread thinking, 
oh, it's it's what's in front of me. I've got to power through it to get further, but it's I don't know I'm going to survive it. You know. Do you know what? I had never realised that the chapter names spell out Nicole is dead. Hmm. In fact, what I'll do is I'll read you out the chapter names. Right, I've just written them down. So, for those who don't know, I make notes whilst we're recording, so that you know, for editing and stuff, and for show notes and that. But here are the chapter names in the original Dead Space, right? In order: New Arrivals, Intensive Care, Course Correction, Obliteration Imminent, Lethal Destination, Environmental Hazard, Into the Void, Search and Rescue, Dead on Arrival, End of Days, Alternative Solutions, and Dead Space. Nicole is dead. I'd never realised. That is amazing. I mean, th- this says something for the game. It won awards for the sound in it because mm-hmm. it builds up the very best atmosphere it can do. And somewhere down the line, I don't know if there was interference from outside things or what have you, but the first game was very suspenseful, very survival horror. The second game went leaned more towards the action because mm. you got a lot more ammunition in the second one. The puzzles got crazier, but you got a lot more ammunition. And the third one, it was just, I mean, I don't know what the hell happened there. It was sort of like, it's its Dead Space 3 milking the consumer edition. Like we said, do you remember when we were talking about the Mega Drive Mini? And I said, what is it with Sega? And when they made the third version of a game, a third entry in a game, <laughs> yeah. it all goes to hell. Same thing with the folks who made Dead Space. I mean, before I played Dead Space, it was going to be Resident Evil 2, because that was the first experience into survival horror I ever had. Mm-hmm. And that was always going to rate very highly until I played Dead Space. I think as well, there's something to be said about the actual experience of playing a survival horror. So like, uh, you know, you have to just look at the loading screens for the first Resident Evil game. You know, the first Resident Evil game, every time you loaded a game, it said you have once again stepped into the world of survival horror, right? Yeah. Because they expected you to want to have to save and reload and save and reload and save and reload. Because the first time you play through it, because you haven't solved any of the puzzles yet, you need to save and reload and save and reload. Yeah. And I think the reason why a lot of um, survival horror games have become horror action games is because they don't want to build up that suspense because it's difficult to build up that suspense. And for every puzzle that you solve or I solve as a game player, somebody has to come up with that puzzle. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot more effort goes into the survival horror versus horror action. And it's whether these developers think that it's kind of worth that effort when we're becoming a society where it's expected that we have, I don't want to say shorter attention spans, but yeah, we're more likely to jump into something than jump straight back out. The Call of Duty effect, you know? It's also, I think modern games have got a lot of like save states, chapter saves and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So if a lot of the modern games, especially the action ones, for example, if you didn't have autosaves at chapter points where you had to go all the way back, but it gave you an option to manually save at certain points, it would, I mean, you'd segment the game, it'll last longer. But even in action games, you'd have the apprehension of, if I go in and die at this point, the, the save point might not be there, it might be further along. You know, it'd slow down the experience. It turned a lot of people away doing that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, in the hardcore mode in the Resident Evil 2 remake, for example, it doesn't auto-save at chapters, and you can only save at typewriters if you've got an ink ribbon, and they are very scarce. I think there's like six in the game. Wow, I didn't realise that. I found one by chance, and I saved it before the first William fight, so I found one by chance. Yeah, so you really got to know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what about honorable mentions then? Have you got any? Because I've got like five. I've got five. I've got three that are actually survival horror and two, if you could bend the rules a little bit, considering. Because it's like horror-ish, sort of my interpretation of that. So I've got three actual survival horror games and two where I bend the rules. Okay. Into a circle. It doesn't break, but the bend, you know. If you get it hot enough, you can bend it into a circle, but it won't break. Yeah, pretty much. You can't break it, because as soon as you break it, it all breaks down. I'm stretching the term of survival horror very thin, but it still applies. I just want to say that anyone who can figure out what it was that Squidge and I were referencing then, and you can send in a tweet or something, we'll figure out sending you a prize, because I think <laughs> that's obscure enough that uh, very few people are going to know what you can bend it. And if you get it hot enough, you can bend it around in a circle, but it will not break. As soon as it breaks, everything breaks. Yeah, for like the first week or so. Don't end up giving out prizes out for a Oh, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, within the first week of it being released or something. But yes. Um, so give us one of your honorable mentions, Squidge. Intro music is Behind the Lines by Ian Sutherland. Outro music is I Need You, Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectral Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleansing music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Gay. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.